Uh, matter of fact, uh, I went to a mission trip to Nicaragua with uh, Brother Mike and um, got to hear all kinds of good stories about him. But by the time that I got old enough to really get to know him, he was gone. So, um, But I know our church has uh, come here for men's conferences and events and different things like that and revivals and stuff. And um, I was never spiritual enough to actually get down here to, to come see him and, and uh, to see this church. But it is absolutely beautiful here. And uh, my wife, Cammie, is excited uh, here to be here with us and travel. We came in this afternoon and kind of explored the area a little bit and looking around. And, and I tell you what, it is absolutely gorgeous. And so uh, we're thankful to be here with you tonight. I want to go ahead and jump into things. I could talk about myself, but y'all didn't come here uh, to hear about me. Uh, y'all came to hear what the Lord says. And uh, so let, take your Bibles and turn to Exodus chapter 34. Exodus chapter 34. It's page 88 in my Bible. I don't know what it is in yours. You could turn to page 88. I don't know what it's going to be, so good luck. I might preach that one too in your Bible if you bring it up. But uh, Exodus chapter 34. Tonight we're going to be focusing and looking at getting a glimpse of God. I believe that there is something that we need today in today's modern church, and really in all of our lives, it is a sort of a, a fresh sense, uh, nothing new, by the way, that we can ever preach. We just preach the Bible. It always is there. It's always been true. Um, I could try to give you something new, but if I give you something new, then it's going to be out of the Bible, right? You need the Scripture, what the Scripture has to say. When we talk about getting a glimpse of God, we might often think about getting some sort of mystical, emotional, tinglys on the back of your necks and goose pimples on your arm kind of feelings, even a charismatic sort of sense of a glimpse of God. Now, we're not talking about that tonight. We're talking about getting an understanding and a glimpse of who God truly is. Ultimately, I believe firmly that if we have a right view of God, everything else in our life will fall into place. However, the flip side of that coin is if you have the wrong view of who God is, of what God does, what God says, everything else will go that bad direction as well. So it begins with the right view of who He is. I want to read for us uh, chapter 34, uh, verses 1 through 8. I want to pray, and then uh, we'll just uh, jump into things. It says in verse number 1, And the Lord said unto Moses, Hew thee two tables of stone like unto the first, and I will write upon these tables the words that were in the first tables which thou breakest. And be ready in the morning, and come up in the morning unto Mount Sinai, and present thyself there to me in the top of the mount. And no man shall come up with thee, neither let any man be seen throughout all the mount, neither let the flocks nor herds feed before the, that mount. And he hewed two tables of stones like unto the first, and Moses rose up early in the morning and went up unto Mount Sinai as the Lord had commanded him and took in the hand of the table of two tables of stone. And the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. And the Lord passed before him and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long suffering and abundant in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin and that will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and upon the children's children unto the third and to the fourth generation. And Moses made haste and bowed his head toward the earth in worship. Let's read verse 9 as well. And he said, If now I have found grace in thy sight, O Lord, let my Lord, I pray thee, go among us. For it is a stiff-necked people, and pardon our iniquity and our sin, and take us for thine inheritance. Let us pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for this night. Lord, we're grateful for another day of life that we can gather to hear your word. And Lord, I pray that now uh, you would just open up all of our hearts, Lord, tonight, including my own, and our ears to you, Lord, that we would be attentive to what you'd have for us. God, that we would receive uh, the bread of life tonight. 
And Lord, that we would uh, just grow in grace and knowledge of you. And I pray, God, that you would help my heart and my mind. And Lord, that you would speak in me and through me tonight. Lord, we thank you now for this time and keep your hands upon it. In Jesus' name, amen. Talking about a glimpse of God, to truly get a glimpse of something that is awe-inspiring is to truly understand and to get a glimpse of who God actually is. If we were to actually have and see God and He just showed up in this sort of cloud the way that He shows up to Moses, I don't believe we would continue to sit on our pews. I don't even think that we would jump up or try to even run out. I believe that we would be like Moses in verse number 8 and we would fall flat upon our face and worship a holy God. We have to understand who God is because to understand who He is and to truly get that glimpse, we are going to understand that everything else in our life will fall into place. It is the idea of seeing God for who He is and all of His glory. And I want to back up to the end of chapter 33. And I'm going to try to give you the, the whole kind of introduction and context of all this just to kind of bring us up to speed. If you go back a couple of chapters, what had happened is God had already met with Moses on that same mountaintop, given him the, uh, the first tables of uh, the Ten Commandments, the tables of stone there. And Moses, he says in verse number one, he says, I'm going to have you make two more because you broke the first ones. And we forget Moses was angry, but he had a reason to be angry. He comes down off the mountain. As a matter of fact, God said, you better get down there because they ain't doing right. Moses gets down there. And what does he find? He finds them literally dancing around a golden calf, an image that they had made. And literally, you look at the first, ten, the first of the four of the Ten Commandments directing our relationship with God. God literally says, don't take my name in vain, keep the Sabbath, there's no other gods before me. Oh, and by the way, don't make a graven image. Don't try to make something that you can worship to try to put me in a little idol or a little image like every other pagan god. Our God is not a God who can be placed inside of a box. Praise the Lord, He's been placed inside of a book to reveal Himself to us. But He cannot be placed inside of an idol or a statue, and we cannot fathom his beauty, or his glory by looking at something made out of wood, hay, or stubble. Instead, what happens is Moses goes down there, finds out he throws the tables down, he's all flustered, and everything becomes a mess from there. But God, in his grace and his mercy, and truly from the very first sin that happened in the Garden of Eden, God doesn't just display his wrath and justice, but God displays his grace and mercy to people who do not deserve grace and mercy. And what God does there is he says, I'm going to give another opportunity. He meets with Moses. Moses acts much like a picture of Christ as a mediator between the sinful people and God. God is speaking in and through and to Moses to speak to the people. And ultimately, we find in the life of Moses and really the life of every person that's ever preached for the Lord our God is the emphasis and the emphatic necessary need to preach the Word of God. God gives it to us and declares this is what you're to preach. He doesn't tell us to preach politics or our personalities or any of those things. Those things can draw crowds. They can give the tinglys on the back of the necks and the goose pimples, but it will not draw anyone closer to God. It will not give them a right view of God, and it will continue to make religious people who will still be satisfied with dancing around an idol that they have created. Now, let's look here. In uh, chapter 33, at verse uh, 12 through 16, we find that Moses, first of all, Ask God to show me thy way. Right? Here's, here's what he says. And Moses said unto the Lord, See thou sayest unto me, Bring up this people, and thou hast not let me know whom thou wilt send with me. Yet thou hast said, I know thee by name, and thou hast also found grace in my sight. Now therefore I pray thee, if I have found grace in thy sight, show me now thy way, that I may know thee, 
that I may find grace in thy sight and consider this, uh, that this nation is thy people. And he said, my presence shall go with thee and I will give thee rest. What a sweet promise of God. He continues on verse 15, and he said unto him, if thy presence, this is Moses speaking, if thy presence go not with me, carry us not up hence. For wherein shall it be known here that I and my people have found grace in thy sight? Is it not in that thou goest with us? So shall we be separated, I and thy people, from all the people that are upon the face of the earth. If we remember correctly, God had promised Abraham uh, when he makes the covenant with Abraham, really rather for Abraham, and he says, I'm going to have a people that are going to be made, they're going to be uh, my chosen people, they're going to be from your uh, seed, and they're going to be uh, given a, a land seed and a blessing for all of eternity. I'm going to send them into a place uh, that is not their own country. They will be there some 400 years, but they're going to come out a whole lot better off for it. They go into Egypt is what takes place. God brings them out in the Exodus, and now they're on their way to the promised land. All of us today who are in Christ would certainly say we're looking and longing for that promised land, but we often forget that along the way, before we even get to the promised land, that God still gives us the promises that He is with us now currently. We're working our way to the finish line to see our Lord, to be with Him face to face, and to be with Him in His presence, but we fail to realize that we need His presence and His power and His, uh, His everything. We need Him now. Moses understood this. He says, literally, the idea that he says, my presence, uh, or rather, verse uh, 15, he says, if thy presence go not with me, carry us not up hence. Moses, as badly as Moses wants the promised land, says, if you don't go with us now, then don't lead us to the promised land, because I don't want the promised land if you're not there. We often want heaven for all that it is and not for who's there. The who is there, we often talk about, we want the reunion with grandma and granddad and all those who have gone before us. But the greatest reunion possible is to see our Lord with outstretched arms and scars that bought our salvation and our redemption. That is the great reunion that we're longing and looking forward to. The promised land that they're working to get to is one that had been given to, to them. They know it's going to be there, but of course sin would keep them wandering for quite some time. I'm afraid that many churches and many believers end up in a long period of wandering because of sin, because they have not uh, gotten that glimpse of God that they ought to. They've caught a glimpse of an idol or of a golden calf or something else that's shiny off on the outside or to the right or to the left, and they have not caught a glimpse of the Holy One of God who has called them and promised them these wonderful spiritual blessings. The Christian should never be characterized by complacency. Moses was not complacent at this point. He is asking, God, if you're not going to be with us, then let us not even get there. We need your presence, Lord. Furthermore, verse 17 to 23, this is kind of getting us into the place of, of chapter 34. So y'all hang in. He then doesn't just ask, show me thy way, but then he says, show me thy glory. This is taking things a step further. You see, most believers and most churchgoers will say, verse 12 to 16, Lord, I want your presence. I certainly want your peace, as even God says, I'm going to give you rest. Right? He, he, he says those things, and most Christians would certainly say that they want those things. Even churchgoers who are lost would say they want those things. However, the Christian who is not complacent asks what Moses asked for in in this next section. 
And the Lord said unto Moses, I will do this thing also that thou hast spoken, for thou hast found grace in my sight. And I know thee by name. Can you imagine, first of all, the sovereign God of the universe who spoke all things by the power of his might and holds all things by the power of his might, doesn't just know all the stars in heaven, doesn't just measure the waters, but knows every person here tonight by name? And that is bringing a a comfort that our sovereign Lord knows you tonight. If he knows your name, then he also knows your problems. He knows your heartaches, your hurts. He knows why you're here tonight. He knows why you might not be here. He knows the yesterday, the today, and the forever. He knows your life. It is nothing going to surprise him. He knows you personally. The sovereign God of the universe can be humble enough to come down and condescend to know us personally. What a peaceful thing. That is not just a God who we can't know, but rather He's a sovereign God who is also personal. And now here's the key, verse 18. Moses speaking, he said, I beseech thee, show me thy glory. This is something that is often thought about, but what does it mean? Because most of the time, if we're honest, most Christians don't ask, God, show me your glory. Right? We go to church and we say, God, help us to have a good day. Keep us safe, Lord. Uh, Lord, help the singing to go good. Help the preacher to preach good. Right? We might even, if we're feeling spiritual, say, Lord, help me to listen good. Hopefully so. Hopefully you prayed that tonight. I don't know. (laughs) Hopefully we'll find out. But very few of us prepare our hearts for church and to show up even just to a Tuesday night Bible study by asking, God, show me your glory tonight. The glory of God, as we're going to see, is really two ways of looking at it. There's, number one, what's called the intrinsic glory of God. What that means is it's all of who God is. All of His power, all of His might, all of His character. It's described as His glory. It is who He is. Many times, if we're truly honest in our own hearts, we want what God does, we want what God gives, but we often don't want who God is. And that's where, we, that's where we miss out on what Moses is about to get. Moses isn't satisfied with just getting the gifts of God's presence and peace, but rather he wants to know him more. You see, church is not about going through the motions or making off checklists or check marks of our spiritual life. Rather, it's to know and to see the glory of God, to know him more. The second part of glory is what is called the ascribed glory. It's what we use oftentimes of if if preaching's real good, you might shout glory or, hey, glory to God. Or, hey, we want to give glory to God. Why? Because it's then taking what God has given us as he's revealed his glory to us, his character, his love, his mercy, his holiness, his righteousness, his goodness, which, by the way, we're going to get to it in just a moment. In verse 6 and 7 of chapter 34, all of that is what's called the intrinsic glory. It's God going, Moses, you want to see my glory? Here's all of who I am. And Moses is going to be changed by it. Every time that we show up to church, we should be changed by it. Because the glory of God should be proclaimed from the Word of God, and the people of God should be coming prepared to give the glory back to God. Everything is for the glory of God. As others would refer to it, soli deo gloria, meaning the glory of God alone. Glory to God alone. In all things, God should get the glory. The more of His glory we experience and know, then the more glory that we will give Him. I want you tonight, raise your hand if you want to give God glory. All right, that's pretty much everybody. That's great. So how do we do it? 
by getting to know Him. Where do we start by doing that? Right here in this pew, right here tonight, right where we are, to simply bow our humble hearts and humble our hearts to bow before God. And much like Moses, dare to pray something as simple yet as something so bold, God, show me your glory. God then gives a promise about how this is going to take place because if we want to experience God, it's going to happen on His terms by His grace, not by our own. There's plenty of people who can conjure up and manipulate emotions, and anyone who does that is not doing things the way of God. Plain and simple. I would, I would encourage you, flee and run far from them. Unless the tingles have come on the back of your neck because you just experienced God's grace and His goodness and you've seen, man, what a good God we serve. If it's come from somebody else, I'd be a little nervous. Here's what happens. Verse number 19, And he said, I will make, and this is God speaking, I will make all my goodness pass before thee. You talk about church service. He says, Then I will proclaim the name of the Lord before thee. Talk about preaching. There is no better preacher of the Word of God than God Himself. He is even referred to as Jesus Christ, the incarnate, the Logos, the divine revelation of God, the Word of God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He preaches the Word. God could preach anything because He's God. What does He preach? He preaches Himself because there's nothing else worth preaching. In verse 20, He says, And he said, Thou canst not see me or see my face, for there shall no man see me and live. And the Lord said, Behold, there is a place by me, and thou shalt stand upon a rock. And it shall come to pass, while my glory passeth by, that I will put thee in the cliff of the rock, and will cover thee with my hand while I pass by. And I will take away mine hand, and thou shalt see my back parts, but my face shall not be seen. God's response is, I'm going to give you a glimpse of me. Sometimes a glimpse is all that we need. I, I remember uh, when Cammie and I, before we had even actually officially met, we had been in, a, I was starting my second year at Bible College. She was starting her first year there at Piedmont. And anyways, we go on the student life retreat. Somehow or another, this is a small campus and not to brag, but I was the crazy dude who wore wigs to basketball games like I was cool, right? Okay, Everybody knew who Joe was, right? especially on a small campus, very small. We go on the student life retreat, and I had not actually met her, believe it or not, but my rafting tube, me and my buddy got caught in the back, and that's where she ended up getting caught. Praise the Lord by His divine hand of goodness, I got to see her. And all it was just a glimpse, and that's all it took. Isn't that right? It, husbands, amen, right? All it was was a glimpse. <laughs> Even if it wasn't, you better say it was. A glimpse is all it took. But a glimpse can truly change your life. I do remember telling my dad, really just like a week later after we'd been texting, I said, hey, as long as she don't run away, I'm going to marry her. <laughs> Praise the Lord for that, that, that love story. Maybe they'll make a, a Lifetime movie about us. I don't know. But, but I know this. Spiritually speaking, a glimpse of God truly is life-changing. And that glimpse of God should take place every time we open up His Word, every time we bow our head in prayer, Every time we walk through those back doors, we should be certainly expecting and asking, even pleading as Moses does. He goes from praying in in verse 12 to 16 to pleading in verse 17 to 23, God, show me your glory. 
I'd ask you, when was the day that you sat in service and you were satisfied with not getting anything new or fresh from the Lord and His Word? When was the day that you were satisfied with not giving Him glory? When was the day that you became satisfied with going through the motions? Hopefully today is the day that you can say that you're no longer satisfied with that. But you want God's glory. Now let's look at this. In this, God is going to prepare him. He's going to say literally that I'm going to have to protect you, Moses, from my own self. Because if I were to show you all of who I am and face to face, you would die. And so he's going to hide him. And he says on the cliff of the rock, and just for sake of time tonight, I'm going to give you all the simple answer to this. He's talking about the Lord Christ. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. If we are going to be hid in anything in this world, it must be Christ. If not, we will be consumed either by God's wrath or by this world or by our own sinfulness. We have got to be placed in the cliff of the rock. And notice that it is God who does this for Moses because Moses would be totally obliterated if God revealed himself that way. This is why God gives just a glimpse. Really, the idea of him saying, I'm going to cover you up and I'm going to show you not my face, but just my back parts, is he's saying, you're going to hide behind this rock and you're going to be able to peek through about a space like that and I'm going to reveal and show myself in such a way you're going to see my afterglow my back parts uh, and all you're going to see is that now you fast forward to the end of chapter 34 Moses comes down off the mountain and everyone's afraid because his face is glowing he caught just a glimpse I wonder those who do not know the Lord Jesus Christ who are out in our community if they still see a glow on our face. That we've been in the presence of God. Most of us might leave church on Sunday morning, go to a, a local restaurant, and we see everybody else, and we're just as grumpy and hungry as everybody else. I wonder, they could probably see from our church clothes that we've been in church, but could they see from our faces that we've been in the presence of God? Because there's certainly a difference. Now, chapter 34, that was introduction. Y'all hang in there. We came from the same pastor, what can I say? <laughs> All right. Verse number one through four really gives the preparation. God says to Moses, <clears throat> You're going to meet with me, and I'm going to meet with you. And here's how it's going to happen, Jack. He says, I'm going to come down upon that mountain the same way that he had done back in Exodus 19. Go back and read Exodus 19. If we read it like a Jewish person, it would scare us to death. God shows up not in a way of flashing lights or concert or rock band and not even just the way of a good old gospel song. No, He shows up on this mountain, which is already frightening enough, and He literally descends and ascends up and down this thing in a cloud of thick darkness and glory. It's called the Shekinah glory of God. It's His absolute presence, and it overwhelms the people. He even tells them there in that chapter, don't, and He repeats it here to Moses. He says in verse 3, No man shall come up with thee. Don't even let the flocks come up on the mountain. Because he says back in Exodus 19, if anyone even touches the mountain, they will perish. It, see, the issue at hand is that he knows that mankind wants to work their way to God. They know that God's up there on the mountain with Moses. So what would man want to do? Well, I'm going to go get a peak. But to get a peak is going to be by your works, which is going to be destruction. This is why man cannot get to God. This is why Moses and the law of God is acting as a mediator. But ultimately, the great news is that it's not just the law. It's not just Moses. But that law in Moses and his writings and all the Old Testament is pointing to this great and glorious day where Christ was crucified. And everything after that is looking back and going, 
Look at what He's done. The work is finished. Just as Christ, hanging on that cross, was able to say for those in the Old and those in the New Testament, those of us today, those of us yesterday, and to be able to say it is finished past, present, and future. Now, let's get to the real meat of all this. The presence of God comes. Verse 5 to the first part of 6. It says, And the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with Him there. This cloud is God's promise of His presence which had already been given in verse 13 of chapter 33. He had said, I'm going to go with you. I will be with you. And later on in the New Testament, Scripture with Scripture, that He says to His people, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. There will never be a time, dear believer, tonight that God is not with you. Regardless of situation or circumstance or place or setting, God is with you tonight. As He should be because we're gathered here to meet with Him. And He is very much here. We oftentimes give uh, Him not enough credit to believe that He's here. And I believe it's because we come expecting that all that's going to be here is the people and the pews and maybe the preacher, but never the absolute presence of God. And His presence is certainly here. And it's certainly met with Moses. And Moses is the only one that's allowed upon this mount. And in the cloud, this Shekinah glory, the overwhelming presence of who God is, we see the cloud all throughout the Old Testament. We even find it in the New. He's led them by day by the same cloud. He stood between Pharaoh and Israel with this cloud. He has covered Mount Sinai on multiple occasions with this cloud of His presence. He has stood in the tabernacle in this cloud, this engulfing cloud. When people see the cloud, they know God is here. And I think part of the reason why we might have those issues is everyone today is certainly looking for a sign. Jesus said that it's not a good thing to be looking for a sign. Matter of fact, it's a wicked and perverse generation that seeketh after a sign. You want your sign that God is here? The doors are open. The Bible is open. What more could you want? Right? God is here to meet with us. Now, in this, we also find the cloud, the Mount of Transfiguration. And there's coming another day where Jesus has said He's going to be coming in the clouds. Jesus is coming back. He didn't stay dead. He won't stay gone as we hear in the Gospel songs. We know that He's coming back. He's coming back in all of His overwhelming presence where He will conquer His enemies once and for all. He's always and already conquered hell, death, and the grave. But there's coming a day where every single enemy will be trampled under His foot. And we will get to be a part of His kingdom, to be a part of Him, and to be able to see Him face to face in all of His glory. And you too and I shall also be glorified. Praise God. Not another ache, not another pain, not another mask, not another social distance, not another doctor's visit. Praise the Lord for all those things, right? Now, let's get to this. God says that He then stood with him there. The glory of Christ is about to literally pass by Moses that he might just catch a glimpse. I believe that God's Word truly for the Old Testament believers as they were saved the same way you and I were by grace alone through faith alone. They were looking forward to a Messiah coming. We get to look back that He's already come and look forward that He's coming again. Those believers were saved by faith, fully trusting in God. It was not by the law. It was not keeping it because they couldn't keep it. It was their faith in the One who would keep it and would fulfill it. And that same One who wrote the law Himself. Now in this, God comes. And He says that He stood with Him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. Now verse 6, 
All it tells us is, and the Lord passed by before him. I don't know what that looks like, but I think it looks an awful lot like what Christ is described in Revelation chapter 1. I believe it looks an awful lot like the glory of God. I believe it looks an awful lot like all of God's character, all of who he is, absolutely overwhelming this bright, shining light passes by Moses, and it would make him glow. Now, God does not just give him his presence, but here we get to the good part. He says, he's preaching. God then proclaims. It says, and he proclaimed the name of the Lord. We often say, I don't like preaching that much. God does, because God does it. God preaches, and he doesn't even care about the audience. You and I, we worry, but well, we didn't have a lot of people at church today. Uh, maybe they'll come up next week. I don't know what it is, right? God's got one man on this one mountain. And God says, that's all I need in this, in this place. Because I'm going to preach it to him. And he's going to preach it to them. And they're going to preach it to us. And here we are today, by God's grace, through the word of God, his wonderful work. And what God proclaims and preaches to Moses is not, you dummy, you broke the first two tablets of stone. He doesn't even say, hey, you know what? You're right. I ought to get down there and bash all of Israel to pieces. He would have been just in doing so. He'd be just in doing the same thing to me even right now. But here's what happens. Instead, God preaches Himself because there is no other name that we can be saved by. There is nothing else worth preaching except for the name of our Lord our God. People say, well, I, I just, I don't know about going to Bible study. It just seems boring. It's all about doctrine. You know what doctrine really is? It's studying God. It's getting to know who He is. And here He reveals Himself. He says this, the Lord, the Lord God. When God repeats something, y'all know it's important. But when He repeats His name twice, it's very important. If we don't know who God is, we cannot worship God nor be used by God. We will not be in fellowship with God. We must know who He is. How do we know who He is? Because He's revealed it to us. He has declared it and proclaimed it. The Lord, Jehovah, the self-existing one, the eternal one, the one who is everlasting, the everlasting. He had told Moses at that burning bush, tell him the great I am sent you. The one who always has been and always will be. The one who made you. The one who formed and fashioned you in your mother's womb. The one who even long ago, who had planned your life out before, he even spoke the world into existence. That same God. The same God who tells Moses just a chapter before that he knows it by name. That God. The Lord. The Lord God. The Lord God is the phrase Jehovah El. What is repeating the same thing. It is a repetition truly of who God is. His, his absolute power. God is saying, if you want to see my glory, here's who I am. Here's my intrinsic glory, all that I am. It is this, that God the Almighty One is all-knowing and all-powerful and all-present and holy in all things. He's holy in His love. He's holy in His wrath. He's holy in His mercy. Everything that He does, it's done by His character and His goodness. Now, for you and I, sometimes we can be good. Sometimes we can be wrathful. Sometimes we can be this and that, but God is all of who God is all at one time, never ceasing to be God. If God ceased to be God for even a millisecond, He wouldn't be God and wouldn't be worth it. But He's always God, always has been God, always will be God. 
We won't. We can't. We never will be. Moses is getting the best sermon ever preached in these words of the Lord, the Lord God. Each one of these declarations of the names of God could be a sermon in and of itself. But then he describes even more so his nature. His nature and his attributes of how he shows himself to his people. He says, the Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious. Mercy is often seen in grace together, hand in hand, and truly they do go hand in hand. You go, well, which one's more important? Which one's better? Because that's what we want to know, because that's the one that we want. The two go hand in hand. And what I mean by this is every attribute of God connects to the other attribute of God. We often try to go, well, this attribute's the best attribute of God. <laughs> if you want to have the best attribute of God, it's just His name. <laughs> it's just God. <laughs> it's just who He is. All-encompassing. Overwhelming. On this mountain, and not just overwhelming that mountain, but now overwhelming the heart of Moses. He says, merciful. Merciful is also the idea of compassion, even giving of pity. We see that His mercy is everlasting. We see that mercy, according to Scripture, the idea is grace is something, and as he's described, merciful and gracious. Grace is giving of something that is not deserved. <clears throat> often equate that to a birthday present. When you get a birthday present, you did nothing to earn it. You lived a whole extra year and that was it. Right? You did nothing. You didn't work for it. They just gave it to you because you got older. Right? I don't know. That might even be mercy. They felt sorry for you. They felt pity. Mercy, though, on the other hand, because it goes just like this. Mercy is God withholding what we do deserve. What Moses deserved was wrath. What children of Israel deserved was wrath. What Pastor Joe deserves tonight is wrath. But the Lord, the Lord God, is merciful and gracious. Does he ever stop being merciful or gracious? No. Is he ever more merciful and gracious? Is he ever this or that? He's always merciful and gracious. Every breath that you take, is an act of God's mercy and grace. Every beat of your heart, you can hear the sound of His mercy and grace. Always merciful and gracious to His people. Even the word grace has the idea to stoop down in kindness to someone or something that is inferior. I cannot think of anything more gracious than God, the King of kings and Lord of lords, coming down to this pauper, this beggar, who says, Lord, would you please show me your glory? And he says, okay. I'll give you a glimpse. He passes by Moses and he says, The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious. Doesn't Moses already know this? Yes. Don't we already know this? Yes. But do we need to hear it again? Yes. And again? Yes. Why? Because once we leave here tonight, our worries will come back, rush into our mind. All of our anxieties. We might even be looking at the clock already going, Great time of day. I don't even know when you guys finish. <laughs> Anyway, we'll just keep going until you guys will either leave or I'll keep preaching. One another, another, we'll go. Merciful and gracious. But then look at this. God also describes Himself as long-suffering. It's God's patience. He's described elsewhere that He's patient and slow to anger. Where we're quick to anger and we're quick to our emotions, God is long-suffering. Praise the Lord that He is because if not, we wouldn't have made it into 2021. We wouldn't have made it to any year without God being gracious and merciful and long-suffering. Furthermore, then he says, an abundant. Abundant, you know what that means? Abundant. It means he's got a bunch of it. He doesn't just have a cup full, but it's running over full 
of goodness and truth. You know why? Because goodness and truth only come from God. You will not see goodness in this world that comes from this world. You will not find truth that comes from this world. If you're going to find goodness, if you're going to find truth in your life or in this world or anywhere else, it's going to be because and only solely from God Himself. All truth truly does come from God. If it does not come from God and it is not of Him, then it is not true. We need the truth of God because it's the only thing that we have to stand on these days. How will we know the truth? How will we know what to stand on? By knowing God and seeing a glimpse of who He is. He continues in verse number 7. He says, Keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. The idea of thousands is literally the children of Israel at this point is probably upwards in the millions. They've got a boat ton of people. They have an abundant amount of people, if you will. And even today, it is God is still all those things for all these billions of people that have lived on since that day that are currently living now, and however long this earth keeps spinning, He's going to continue to be that same God to and for those people. He never changes. Praise God for that. But notice though, He says forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. All three of those things are things that holiness can't stand. All three of those things that holiness doesn't want anything to do with. But God being merciful and gracious and long-suffering certainly does. God is able to reach down to us and still yet forgive our iniquity and transgression and sin. Why is that? It's because God would put on flesh and come and die on the cross for our sins. He would be buried and raised again to life everlasting according to the Scriptures that He might give us eternal life. Not by any good works or any good deeds or any church attendance or any church roles that we might ever hold or have, but by the fact of His Word and His work on Calvary. And that is it. We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. That is it. You can try to save yourself by going through the law, by coming to church and going through the motions and doing all of your XYZ checkmark lists. And we could certainly preach and do all these things. If I can give you the self-help motivational things, but it will not help you unless you know who God is. Unless tonight, and unless every time you enter into God's presence and into reading and prayer, that we get a glimpse of His glory. All of who He is. We want all of who He is so that we can express and give all back to Him and that we might be able to give glory to God and glorify God through our good works that others may glorify God. What does that mean? How will they glorify God? Only if they are born again. Because they will see the glory of God in our lives. They might just see a shining face like Moses. I would certainly say Hillsville and Waynesboro, Virginia, where we're from, and Danville, Virginia, and every other part of Virginia in the South, in America, and all throughout the world needs Christians who ask God for glory and will catch a glimpse of who God is and will leave and be in this world changed, truly changed. Then he says, visiting the iniquity of the fathers and the children and upon the children's children and unto the third and the fourth generation. That same God who is merciful and gracious also must be just and He must take care of sin when sin comes. He must be wrathful and just, and He must also punish. The reason why God is good is because He does those things as well. A good parent is going to discipline. Y'all know it. Y'all, y'all been in the grocery stores, right? Go in, go in the checkout line. Y'all know how many times you've had to bite your tongue, your lip, and even bite somebody else's lip just to keep from going. Oh, they better. Remember, tell that kid, that kid, that kid's hollering, that kid on Ooh, if that's my kid, right? Or if that was me when I was that kid, right? 
good father chastens those who he loves. And he would do that to the nation of Israel because he loved them. He had set his love upon them. Lastly, and we're going to close with this, we see who God is. And we can know Him. We can hear and talk about all those doctrines and all of His character, all of His attributes, and we could honestly never be full enough of it. I want us to look at verse 8. Even to study Him and to know Him for just a moment, to catch just a glimpse of Him passing by us, leads to verse number 8. And Moses made haste and bowed his head toward the earth and worshipped. Most of us, to bow our heads in prayer at the end of a service, need about 18 verses of just as I am before we might move. God reveals Himself with just a glimpse. Moses hears the shortest message, a whole lot shorter than what I preached tonight. Verses 6 and 7. The Lord, the Lord our God, right? The Lord, the Lord God, merciful, gracious, long-suffering, abundant in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity, transgression and sin, and so forth. He hears that message, and Moses' response is his heart is overwhelmed. And he bows himself, head down, his head toward the earth, and worshiped. Both of those phrases literally have the idea of kissing dirt. Moses lays down before God. He has fallen and he can't get up because he has now been in the presence of a holy and a righteous God who says, I know you by name, and you asked for a glimpse of who I am, and I gave you a glimpse, and you'll be changed forever. God would continue to give that glimpse to Moses over and over and over again, meeting with him in their tabernacle, leading the children of Israel, doing the great works, and ultimately pointing, going all the way through Old Testament history. That beautiful red tapestry pointing to the blood of Jesus Christ. And today, you and I have the privilege and the ability to do the same as Moses. And to say, God, I, I know that you've promised your presence in the promised land and and your peace to be with me. But God, that's not all I want. Because it's not all I need. I want you to show me your glory. Tonight, I would ask you this. If you actually have a right view of God or not, if you have a right view of God, there's going to be some change, some difference in our life. Because it affects and overwhelms everything, every aspect of our life. Furthermore, I would ask you, have you asked God to reveal His glory to you? I'm not talking about God help us to have a good service. God help things to go good. Lord help me to be a better person or better this, better that. But God, show me who you are. The way that we get to that place is not through worked up emotionalism, not through jumping up and down or Going, maybe if I go to church enough, it'll just happen and I'll have this experience. Rather, it's a hushed and a humbled heart that Moses just says, God, show me your glory. And tonight, my prayer <clears throat> is that each one of us would be like Moses, not the Moses that throws the first tablets of stone on the ground in anger. Not even the Moses that just says, God, I, I know you're going to be with me and God, I know that we're just going to keep on chugging along until we get to the promised land and then things will be good. I want to be like the Moses that says, I want more, God. I don't want more from you, but I want more of you. Tonight, the church and every believer, and myself especially included, needs to not just desire what God gives, 
not just desire what He does, but to desire God Himself. I want to pray for us tonight, and I'm going to turn it over to, to Brother Mike. But may in this time, we take a moment and ask God, show me Your glory. Our Heavenly Father, I thank You for this time. I thank You for Your Word. And Lord, while there's so much more in this passage, but God, I thank You for the few short words that You've given to show us Your name, Your work, through Your Word, ultimately through that wonderful cross of Christ. And Lord, I pray, God, that You would help us now tonight to desire Your glory. And God, that Your glory and You would show us who You are, Lord, that we would be changed. That our faces and our lives might shine before men, that they might glorify You. Lord, that we might be used by You and for You. And Lord, that as You pour out and show us who You are and Your glory upon us, that we might in turn humble and hush our hearts, that we might hear Your Word and give You the glory and the honor of which You deserve. Lord, I pray tonight that You would do just that. I thank You now, in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's just take a moment. Let's bow our heads for just a moment. I want to just ask you tonight, maybe right there, Moses got a glimpse of God in the text. 